Christmas. Happy week four of this series, Hope Has a Name. Thank you so much for sticking around. If you have listened to any part of this series, and even if you've listened to all of this series, thank you so much for joining us for such an in-depth, deep dive into who God is and why He's trustworthy, why we can put our hope in Him, and why He won't abuse that. Today, we did have another guest scheduled, but they were not able to make it last minute. So today, it is just you and me for this very last segment of Hope Has a Name. And you know what? I'm honestly really excited because I love that I started out with my first time just doing it, just you and me, and that I get to tie up the loose ends in this last week as Christmas approaches with two of my favorite names of God, El Olam and Emmanuel. The first name, El Olam, you may not have heard of as often, but I'm willing to bet that most of you have heard of the second name, Emmanuel, whether it's in a Christmas song or in scripture, in a Bible story, or whether it's just from someone that you've heard that has faith that refers to God as their Emmanuel. I know that for me, I've heard it the most through Christmas songs. So I'm really excited to talk about these names today, and I'm really, really excited to give you the history on them and talk about what that means for us and how we can take that into our Christmas celebration this week. So first, I want to start off with the Hebrew word olam. Olam by itself, without the L, means for a long time, always, or forever. When put with L, it's saying that God is an everlasting God. He has no beginning. He has no end. You may have heard him called the Alpha and the Omega. That means the beginning and the end. Olam comes from the root word alam, a verb, which means to hide or conceal. Now, when you say El Olam, the everlasting God, that is a secret name for God, hinting at his mysterious nature, which I think is so, so, so cool. Believe it or not, Olam occurs more than 400 times in Hebrew scriptures. It can even mean ancient, which I think is cool because God is the ancient of days. That's another name that he's referred to as. And it talks about how God is outside of time and space. His very essence is so beyond the realm of time and space, which is so cool when we think about creation and how what he put inside of us in the spirit and I'm just, I'm amazed at this concept that he is outside of time and space. The name El Olam, specifically meaning eternal God or everlasting God, appears only four times, which I think is really, really interesting. So Olam by itself occurs more than 400 times, meaning like specifically eternal, everlasting, forever, ancient. But when you put El Olam and it's referring to God, eternal God or everlasting God, it's only four times. So a little bit of backstory on this. This word originates in Genesis 21 when Abraham is having a little bit of a disagreement. He had just moved to this new land. They're traveling. They're still living in tents. Remember how in the beginning of Genesis, God promised Abraham two things, a son, and then he also promised Abraham land for his family, that they would not be just tenants and that it would be their land. They would be able to have their legacy and generations and generations forever after them. 
So now in walks this guy named Abimelech, who also lives in the land of the Philistines. He's the leader of his group of people, and he brings his army commander to visit Abraham, which, if you ask me, is a little bit aggressive, especially with what he's going to be asking him to do. What he asks of Abraham, and I quote, says, God is obviously with you, helping you in everything that you do. Swear to me in God's name that you will never deceive me, my children, or any of my descendants. I have been loyal to you, so now please swear that you will be loyal to me and to this country where you are living as a foreigner. It sounds a little backhanded to me. I mean, I'm sure it was very humble, but it sounds a little backhanded to me because he's like, please have mercy on me. Like, be loyal to me. Don't turn against me because you're living here as a foreigner. Like, telling somebody that they're a foreigner isn't always, you know, the biggest compliment or the most welcoming thing to do. I'm sure that kind of hurt Abraham a little bit considering he's supposed to inherit land from the Lord. He doesn't know when or where, but that was a promise from God. And yes, him and his family are still living as foreigners. That has to be frustrating. But Abraham replied immediately, yes, I swear to it. So then Abraham feels comfortable to set a complaint before Abimelech about a well that Abimelech's servants had taken from Abraham's servants. And Abimelech seemed surprised. He was like, oh, I didn't know about this. This is news to me. So they decided to make a trade. And Abraham gave some of his sheep, goats, cattle, things of that nature, to Abimelech, and they made this treaty. And they made this treaty in this place called Beersheba. They named it Beersheba that day, which means well of oath. And that's where they made their covenant that they would live in peace together. And immediately after that, Abimelech left with his commander, and they returned to their home in the Philistines. And Abraham decided to plant a tree at Beersheba, which is where he worshiped the Lord, the eternal God. This is the first place that we see the word El Olam used for God. He is eternal, which I think is so cool because in this moment, it would be so easy for Abraham to be like, Lord, this was just affirmed that I'm a foreigner in this land. This man just came to me and affirmed that to me. He just came to me and told me that, you know, we have this disagreeance between our servants because. One said one thing and one said another. And, you know, now we have to trade all these animals and give them things. And they give us things to make this treaty because it's not our land. Because we're both living here and we have to live in peace. So I'm still living in this tension of it's not my land, but I live here. That had to be so frustrating because God did promise that they would have their own land. That they would have a place of refuge, a place of legacy that would be theirs for all time. That would be a place where they can rest and not have to do these arguments and not have to worry about being a foreigner or dealing with other foreigners or even locals and people that don't want them there or people they have arguments with. He would get to live in peace finally with his family. So I'm sure that's something he was thinking about, but... The cool thing is after that situation, instead of getting frustrated with God, instead of saying, but you promised, which is something I would probably do because my patience level is pretty low. But I believe because Abraham had already experienced the faithfulness of God with his son. I mean, seriously, he waited a hundred years to give him a son. They had not had children for years. Sarah was in her 90s. They were professionals at patience at that point. They knew that patience would always bear fruit when it came to the promises of God. So in that moment, Abraham chose to say, you know what? 
even though this doesn't look the way it's supposed to in the end, I'm going to worship the Lord for who he is, the eternal God that's above it all. He is outside of my time and my space. He's outside of my circumstance and what I can see and the vision I have for my life. And he has the master plan. And when he makes a promise, he makes good on it. He always makes good and goes above and beyond whatever I can ask, perceive, or imagine because he is so much better and far above than I am. And I think that's something we can learn from. I think that's something I can learn from is to look at God as so far above us, so other. His limits are so beyond ours that when we go through things that feel like, man, I just feel stuck. I feel like the situation isn't changing. I feel like my circumstance is too difficult. I feel overwhelmed. God says, hey, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. In fact, the Bible says my ways are higher. My thoughts are higher. Higher means above. Think about it. If someone, if you're standing in the midst of I don't know, an outdoor area, and you're standing on the grass and someone's in a tree above you, how much can you see? Your vision is so limited to what's around you, but the person at the top who is above you, their vision is vast. It is so many times what you can see, and that is the picture that God gives us. My ways are higher. My thoughts are higher. They're not yours. So when you feel like something doesn't look right, Trust me, lean into my goodness, lean into my promises, declare my promises in the midst of your circumstance, and you will know and you will see that I'm good on them. So that's something I'm taking into this Christmas. That's something that I'm taking into this new year where I don't want to allow my circumstances to define my attitude. I don't want to allow my situation to define my theology or my faith or my opinion of who God is because he's proved himself over and over and over again. And I want to be able to look at God and be like, you know what? You don't have to prove yourself over and over and over again. Once would have been enough, but you do it because that's who you are and you are faithful. And so I know that you're faithful in my circumstance and whatever happens, you are in control and whatever happens, your promises will be fulfilled. And what you've said will be done because not a word comes out of your mouth that returns void ever. So I want to encourage you guys that if there's something going on in your life where it just feels like this isn't changing, I know I have some of those in my own. Let's try this year in our own lives to lean into the truth that God, since he is eternal, is not limited by the constraints of time or space. That he's never in a hurry and he is never late. That he has no beginning and no end. That nothing ever takes God by surprise. And he has a plan and it is good and it has a hope for your future. So if right now you don't have a hope to hang on to, hang on to God. Just hang on to Jesus. Just lean into his promises and Ask for that peace that passes all understanding that even though your situation may not feel peaceful, may not feel restful, that you can have a resting heart rate because you know that God's in control 
and that his past track record is immaculate, that he is faithful to his word and every promise he's ever made. Beersheba became known as the southernmost town in Israel, and it appears from what we can see in the next chapter that Abraham and his family actually lived in Beersheba for at least 15 years total. I'm not sure how much longer after that incident with Abimelech, how much longer they were there and how long they were there before, but I will tell you, they were there for 15 years. So if you think that God hasn't moved fast enough in your life, just know that he's never late, that he's never early, that his promises are always yes and amen according to his will. And his will is good and pleasing and perfect. And if God was faithful to Abraham in the Old Testament covenant, and now we're living in a New Testament covenant, and we have Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit that lives and breathes within us and and moves and speaks and encourages and discerns for us, how much more is God going to keep his promises to us when he makes them? So I just want to encourage you guys in that today. And I want to go on to talk about the next name that I love so much that brings so much hope at Christmas time. And that is the name Emmanuel, God with us. This name appears twice in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. It's one of the most loving and intimate of all of the names and titles of Jesus. And it is translated, with us is God. Or, as Matthew's gospel puts it, God with us. God first spoke this promise of Emmanuel to the king of Judah, King Ahaz. It was a really scary time for the king and all the people because Assyrian forces had come in by force and occupied their land. So, in the midst of all of that, King Ahaz asked God for help and God gave King Ahaz a choice. God said, you could trust in me or you could suffer defeat from the enemies because trust in me tells me that you know that I'm in control and you're not. And in Isaiah 7, 9, God said, if you do not stand firm in faith, you will not stand at all. Wow. I feel like sometimes God gives us that choice. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. That seems like such a timely word with everything going on in the world. There's so much that is being shaken. There is so much that is confusing and gray and honestly scary that we have to be firm in our faith if we're going to be less standing, if we're going to be someone who is not deceived by the great deceiver. Because that's one of the things about deception is when you're deceived, you don't know it. That's so scary, isn't it? So then God offered him a sign. He said, how many times does God offer a sign? I mean, truly, doesn't he always say, don't look for a sign? Trust me anyway. But God offered him. He said, I'll give you a sign. But even then, King Ahaz refused. He wanted control. So God decided he was going to give his own sign. And it was going to be fulfilled long after King Ahaz past because it is true. God was true to what he said. If you do not stand firm in your faith, he will not stand at all. And Ahaz did fall. He fell in battle and that was the end of that. 
But I love how God's sign came in Isaiah 7, 14. This is where it first appears, where we first see the word Emmanuel. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. How cool is that? Over 2,000 years ago, God saw our terrorized world and the sin that we were chained in. God saw our hopelessness and our failed attempts at making ourselves right with him, that he did what we couldn't do. He came here. He came to us. He filled the gap. He came 90, so we only have to come 10, you know? Anyone ever seen Hitch? Yeah. It's so true in the same relationship. When Christ came to earth, he quite literally became God with us. I love this verse in Psalm 139, 7 through 9. This is one of my favorite psalms to reflect on and to speak and to pray. I do this all the time. I love to pray psalms. Even if I'm reading another chapter of the Bible, I always like to read a psalm just because they're so beautiful. They're so comforting, most of them, unless they're in a battle. Unless David went to battle, then it's a little depressing. But I will say I love, love, love love this verse, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And again, I want to remind you guys, this is in the Old Testament. This is still Old Testament covenant. This is before God gave us his spirit that would come and dwell in us and dwell among us and lead us and guide us and give us discernment and renew our mind and give us thoughts that are godly thoughts and replace our our feelings and emotions with God's feelings and emotions and give us pictures and, and visions. On the night before he died, Jesus promised that he would send us an advocate that he would send us the spirit of truth that would come and dwell among us and live not just in us, but through us, that he would be a moving, active being in our life. No longer would men need a priest to mediate between them and God because he tore the veil and he himself would be the teacher. The Holy Spirit came and filled man and he is closer than our breath He is the most intimate of our thoughts. He is the most precious in our midst. And I just want to remind you that that is something we can all access. This is not an elite thing. This is not something that's saved for those who are holier than others. This is not a gift that God said, this is just for the righteous. This is just for those who who read their Bible every day. This is just for those who go to church every Sunday. No, no, no. If you go to church every Sunday and you read your Bible every day and you don't have the Holy Spirit, man, there's no power. The power is in the Spirit that God gave us. And I want to challenge you to remember this season that God is with you wherever you go. There is nowhere you go, no dark place you can go, no church, no valley, no mountain, no nothing, no depression, no anxiety, no place you can go 
where the Holy Spirit is not with you, where his presence cannot fill you or touch you or move you or renew your mind. So I want to encourage you, as I encourage myself, to tap in to the Holy Spirit, to tap into that place of knowing that Emmanuel is who Jesus is. Emmanuel is real. And we can take part in Emmanuel. We can be in relationship with Emmanuel because he came 90. And our 10 is just a yes. It's as close as our next breath to just say, yes, I want you here. So right now, I just want to pray for us. And I want to ask if you would just if, if there's anything else going on, go get in a private space. Get somewhere where you can turn things off and just focus. If you're in your car, awesome place to be. If you're in your house, maybe go to a closet for a minute. If you're around a bunch of kids, hey, take a cup of coffee and go to your closet. I do that a lot. Um, I didn't say that. And also, if you're in you know, a place where you can't go somewhere privately, just wait till later and take this time to just focus on Emmanuel. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now and just welcome the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you are who you say you are. I thank you that you are an everlasting Father, that you are not constrained by time or space or my thoughts or my visions or my ideas, God, that you are of so far above and beyond my vision, and my will. God, I thank you that it is your will that will be done. I thank you that I get to take the pressure off of myself and that I can encourage others to take the pressure off of themselves, Lord, and just receive the blessing of your peace because your will is good and your will is for us to have a future and a hope. So I thank you for the hope that we can have in you. I thank you that you came 90, so all we have to do is come 10 and say yes. Lord, today and every day and this week in Christmas, I want my heart, I want my actions to say yes to whatever you ask. And right now, I just invite your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to make your presence known. Wherever people are, whatever they're doing, God, that your Holy Spirit would just calm their mind. Holy Spirit, that you would just become a tangible presence, that they would know that you're not just this figment of theology, that you're not just this divine great idea, but that you're real, that you live and move and breathe among us, that every action you take has a reaction, that you are tangible Lord, I ask that you would fill the space. I ask that you would bring a peace that cannot be explained. I ask you that you would calm every mind, that you would settle every heart, that you would transform every mind to have thoughts that are your thoughts outside of their own, Lord, outside of their own will, outside of their own vision, Lord, that you would give visions and words of knowledge and revelation, Lord, even if it's a Bible verse that pops in their head that they weren't thinking about before, even if it's 
a loving thought towards someone that they weren't thinking before. Or maybe it's a prompting to do something or go somewhere or say something that they weren't thinking about before. Lord, I invite you right now, Holy Spirit, to do what you do best, to be Emmanuel. Your purpose is Emmanuel, to be God with us. And I thank you that you are Emmanuel. I praise you for being our Emmanuel. And I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I thank you for the sacrifice and the love that you would choose over and over and over. We call it a sacrifice, Lord, but you just call it love. So I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the purpose that you have over each and every life that is listening right now. And I just declare blessings over every person in this new year. And as we wrap up 2022, Lord Jesus, I declare newness. Holy Spirit, pour out fresh, fresh wind, fresh anointing, fresh thoughts, fresh opportunities, fresh purpose, fresh hope, fresh visions. Lord, I ask that you would bring us into this new year with an openness to surrender what we have planned, to surrender the way we think you should operate, to surrender the way we think you should be good to us, and to receive the goodness that is so effortlessly sourced in you, Jesus, because you don't have to try to be good. You just are. We learn to be good through knowing you. So Jesus, help us to know you better this year. Help us to seek you out because when we seek, we will find you are faithful. You're as close as our next breath. You are the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. You are El Olam. Thank you for Christmas. We love you. Well, that's it, you guys. Hope Has a Name has officially wrapped for this Christmas series, and I have so enjoyed digging with you into these traits of God that fuel our hope. But don't worry, there's more for you here at Cultivate Hope. Beginning in February, we're going to reconvene Cultivating Hope through stories from people who have found God faithful on the other side of hopelessness. So Merry Christmas. I'll see you next year. Until then, don't lose hope.